joined tonight by a perennial guest live from Atlanta, Ryan Cantor of Shaking the Southland. Ryan, how you doing? Great. It's always good to be on. Appreciate the invite. Yeah, for sure. Um, really, Ryan is our uh, famed detractor of the NC State rivalry, or, or of NC State really, as a, um, a peak contender against Clemson. Um, you've, you've long been a doubter here, and we had to bring you on um, in, the, in the aftermath of this game to understand... Um, you know, what your take is, where, what your read is on this game. But I um, also wanted to get you on just to talk about, you know, the state of this team. Um, we're at an interesting point here just past the halfway mark. And I uh, always love discussing kind of what, what the outlook is like for this team. Um, number one, through the second half, um, the teams will face as well as uh, the, the potential playoff opponents we might face. Um, so going to be good to, to review that with you. And um, we'll also get to Florida State. Uh, that's, you know, normally a game with a lot more – uh, pomp and circumstance than we're looking at so far this year, but always interested to see how we match up with the Knowles. Um, looking forward to that discussion. But um, in general, I mean, I just wanted to get your your take on how, how the first half of the season has been and just against maybe where your expectations were to start. Yeah, I mean, uh, we're undefeated, so uh, that certainly matches or exceeds expectations. I, um, I didn't think the ACC would be quite as down as it was. I thought that... Um, Miami would be better. Boston College would be better. Um, I, I wasn't high on uh, either Wake Forest or Louisville, but I was certainly higher on Wake Forest and their plan than than how they performed, and probably the same for Louisville as well. And I was uh, the one spot I would say I was the most wrong in the ACC was Florida State. I expected them to win nine or so games. Didn't realize their offensive line would be quite so bad. So. Um, that that's probably been maybe the biggest reason that the ACC has um, has been has been down. So uh, to be undefeated now is probably less impressive than it would have seemed at the start of the year. Um, but nevertheless, um, you know you have to be pleased with it. And I think you know with all the turmoil they've gone through, um, they look even better than just seven and zero against a you know somewhat uh, average schedule. Yeah, absolutely. I think what what maybe. Um... I'll just reference what STS writer Alex Kraft talked about. Really, this team could not have seen more adversity in the first half of the season. 
and to come out of that, you know, having gotten through um, and really an all-time performance by Kellen Mond, some of the adversity just within the program, within the team, um, including the passing of um, really uh, teammate of most of this this team at this point, C.J. Fuller. Um, really great to to come through that first stretch um, undefeated and looking like a, a strong team, and then to see this great performance against State um, was really encouraging too as a fan. Yeah, and and the thing about NC State, I mean, they're they're a solid team, and um, they're getting better as a program. They're 34th uh, in the S&P plus uh, rankings right now, so they're you know probably they they weren't the 16th best team. I believe that's what they were ranked when we played them. Um, I'm sure they were. I think they were about 20th, 20th or so in the S&P when we played them, but 34th is probably more accurate now that they've actually played a, a solid opponent. But the thing is, you know, I, I hate on them a lot, and it's not because I think they stink, although it is probably a little bit because Dave Doran rubs me the wrong way. But it's more so this weird attitude that's probably even more or just as much from Clemson fans as the national media that, man, NC State plays them tough. NC State gives them a hard time. It's almost like people think they have our number. And I get that oftentimes they play us close, but there, there was a seven-game win streak for Clemson. Then we lost in 2011. Then another seven-game win streak, which we're currently on. It's 14 out of 15. The narrative that they are tough on us should be a narrative that they can never beat us even when they outplay us. That should be the narrative. It, it just doesn't make sense. And it's just so irritating that every year, otherwise great analysts come on podcasts and write articles and say, well, you know, Clemson's bound to drop a game. You know, they go to Raleigh this year. That's probably the one. No, it's probably not the one. It's very seldom that they lose in Raleigh. They have, we have a better record uh, win percentage in the Textile Bowl than the Palmetto Bowl, and we always brag about how we dominate the Gamecocks, but, but we act like NC State's this rival that just gives us the most trouble, and, it, and it's, just, it's just wrong, and that's what it gets me worked up about it. Makes sense. Um, I mean, I feel like it's they're they're just looking they're looking for a potential upset that they can pick and look clever. And you know, when you the last two years, it's really turned into NC State. You know, being ranked, looking fairly competent. That's really been one of our the last two years, at least one of our best games on the schedule. Um, and you could you could chalk that part up to what's happening in the ACC coaching turnover um, at Florida State and just otherwise kind of talent being well behind where Clemson is. But I think in the other years, it's just they're kind of looking for that sexy upset pick. I think in the preseason this year, it wasn't NC State. I think people were expecting NC State to take a step back, and it's really become Boston College, or at least the first, you know, in the preseason. And that was the sexy pick on all the national podcasts that I listened to, at least. And um, really, I think BC is taking a taking a turn for the worse throughout the year. And then lo and behold, here we, here comes NC State again. But um, I, I mean, NC State, you know, let's let's transition to that game here and you know we're not going to do a full recap i think my co-host ben and cody did a really good breakdown of that game encourage everyone to tune into that but um across the board i mean this was a very competent and solid nc state team that was really you could you could maybe put them i'd be interested to see where a and m and nc state both finish out the season in terms of ranking Uh, but they're certainly up there and really competent passing offense and behind a good o-line um you know, this NC State team was good, and Clemson played them off the field. Yeah, um, their offensive line is really good, particularly in um, in pass blocking. They're not running the ball as well this year. Um, hard to say if that's because they lost Naheem Hines at running back or if they're just a better pass blocking line. But they're fourth in uh, sack rate, um, preventing sacks. That's an unadjusted stat, and that's even after playing Clemson in that 
um, awesome D-line. So what was, I would say, uh, particularly encouraging um, in this one is that it wasn't just the D-line uh, wreaking havoc, um, although they were fine, um, but the secondary was going to have to step up, and they did. Tanner Muse had a uh, pass breakup and a sack. Um, Kayvon Wallace intercepted a tipped pass. Um, Nolan Turner had a pass breakup, and, and I thought looked pretty good. Um, and safety has been one of our bigger concerns, and they really stepped up uh, in, in a game where they really had to. So that was particularly encouraging, I thought. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we uh, they did not necessarily have a running game to speak of. I think they got a, an injured running back um, person back for this game. Um, but really, that they, they were going to be pretty one-dimensional, and we made sure that that, that was the case and not even I mean we, we just did not buy into that their running capability so then you could you could sort of have uh, really sell out to stop the pass you know throughout the rest of the offense but I'm sorry throughout the defense but you still got to make plays and I think a lot of the big question marks we, we'll get to this when we talk about kind of the ceiling and floor of this Clemson football team a lot of the questions coming into the season was what, what do you get out of that secondary and um, I, I agree with you I think that um, they played played exceptional ball. And I, I also thought in this um, NC State game, there were a lot of sort of names of Clemson players that um, a lot of times we would we would see even suited up in the game, you know, in their first snaps. And they a lot of them made pretty strong plays in this game, Jalen Williams being one of them. Um, Nolan Turner, I know he's a bit inexperienced, but he's had a couple of busts throughout the year. And then even on the offensive side, Mylon Richard, I think had some good contributions. Um, I just, I kind of thought that some of those names that, um, Clemson fans maybe they rode these guys a little bit, you know, on Twitter and everywhere else. Um, saw them turn in some pretty solid performances here in a big spot against a big opponent. So that's very encouraging to see from a depth standpoint. Yeah, for sure. I thought it was interesting that Jake Venables uh, got some snaps in this game as well. He, I, I would say, between the coaches' sons, he probably had a better game just by default. <laughs> Will had yeah. Will Sweeney had kind of a tough one. Yeah, um, two fumbles on the same play. But one interesting <laughs> note was the guy who jumped on that fumble was the same guy that we previously wrote about. Um, I think you, you pronounced his name Laurel Murchison that uh, Georgia pulled a scholarship from right before he announced that he was going to go to Georgia. And so he had to go to NC state. Um, so, you know, kind of happy for him. I mean, not obviously not happy that there was a fumble, but um, interesting situation there. And then to see him in our game, make an impact was just kind of a, an interesting kind of story that came around. Yeah, definitely. And just from like a, I mean, yeah, that's, it's always good. You, I feel like Kirby, what he picked up at his time in Alabama was sort of the gray shirting or those sort of shenanigans that we pretty much pride ourselves on as a Clemson fan base that our coaching staff doesn't do that. Um, they're, you know, they expect you to be all in and as, as a recruit and we are all in and honoring those commitments. So um, again, you know, good to see that player land on his feet at a, at a solid, you know, power five program and make a, make a play in an otherwise game devoid of big plays for his team. Um, right. One thing I want to caution us on, and, and and I agree with, with, you know, all your analysis so far, but the thing with NC state and, and, and they are solid and we, we mentioned their S and P plus rank, uh, ranking and all that, but over the last four years, their average recruiting, um, their average uh, rivals uh, star level has been 2.92. Ours is 3.71. So we should be a lot better than them. And, and maybe that's credit to them. And even, you know, coach Dave Dorn for, for getting more than 2.92 stars out of, out of these kids, but they're just, 
is, is, is if, if we act like we're, we're beating the, the Florida states of old because they happen to be two in the Atlantic, then, you know, that's, that's just incorrect. And we really aren't going to play an elite opponent until we get to the playoff, if that's where we end up. So there is, you know, for all the analysis we're about to do, there is going to be an element of the unknown when we, when we actually play a, a top 15 uh, quality team. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, um, really what it's not going to be like this game against we're not going to be, you know, quality opponents, top top 10 opponents by a score of 41 to 7. Um, but that being said, I mean, I, I think you kind of look for a few things. And we did see, I mean, maybe one one plot that we haven't talked about yet is the opening drive on offense. And they they sold out to stop the run and we hit them with the pass throughout and were very successful and kind of cut through and um, ultimately hit pay dirt there. Uh, Trevor Lawrence looked amazing on that first drive. I think this is kind of what Clemson fans talked about, expecting a game script that um, certainly kind of probes the defense a little bit, but really exerts its will from the start. And um, again, you can talk about the the uh, talent differential there, but just to see sort of a bit more of like a killer instinct or really Clemson start to pass the eye test in some ways is something that I'll have a lasting memory of, of this game. Yeah, see, seeing that long pass, I think it was about 44 yards um, to T. Higgins, uh, that's just something that we, we just didn't do very often. Um, I went back and looked at um, the game logs for Higgins and Justin Ross. They've got five receptions of, of 45 uh, or more yards, and I, and I believe they're all from Trevor Lawrence. Um, just The offense is just different. And, um, you know, I think we win this game with Kelly Bryant, um, but I don't think – it's a blowout like it is. I think it's kind of the uh, the Auburn style, and I mean us beating Auburn style, um, grinded out kind of game where it gets the job done, but you're not going to be real high in the SM plus uh, SMP plus offense rankings after you know grinding out these games, and who knows how you'll do when you get to the playoff. Yeah, exactly. I mean, part of the consternation that I myself have voiced on this here show, um, and a lot of Clemson fans have, just you know paying attention to Twitter during games is frustration with us not putting teams away not blowing them out not really having you know sustained drives at certain points of the game um, or allowing more sustained drives from the opponent and um, some of that I think maybe we falsely would attribute to not calling an aggressive enough set of plays on offense Um, what I think it really is starting to become a reflection of in my mind is the amount of depth and the number of players that we're cycling into this on both sides of the ball really and, um, you know, everyone knows, could rattle off the stats by now, Clemson played 84 guys here. We took 72 to um, our road games against Wake and Georgia Tech and played all 72 in those. Whereas, meanwhile, you've got Alabama and OU blowing teams out, and they're playing really just guys too deep on their team four quarters of that game. You know, I know Tua hasn't taken a snap in the fourth quarter, but you got Jalen Hurts in there. And, um, you know, Clemson is definitely cycling a lot of guys in there, and um, as my co-host made the point um, on their NC State recap show, it is a pretty prudent strategy, having seen a couple of playoff teams in the past from Clemson sort of hit um, a little bit of fatigue down the stretch. And this helps develop depth. It um, also has some long-term dynamic effects on recruiting. You will play at Clemson, but I think more so just I'd, what would you rather have, Ryan, a fresh starting core and some, some developed depth with three, four or five games of experience or us, you know, and then we compete well in the playoff or us blowing out, you know, some regular season teams. Obviously the former, the concern is, you know, you're cycling guys in the first quarter, which we do. 
and you drop a game. That's that's the concern. But you know, it's hard to complain when we don't do when we don't actually lose the game because of it. Exactly. I think we've we we had our scare. It was the Syracuse game. Everything went wrong until it didn't. Um, and I got to credit that game also to the secondary. Um, I know before the show started, we were commenting on how this wasn't the first time the secondary looked very competent against a capable passing offense. And in that game, they held, you know, they held the line. And um, that, in my mind, probably was the game that we coulda, shoulda, woulda lost um, in, in former years, and we didn't. And look, you know, we've got five more regular season games plus a ACC title game. Any of those could could slip away from us. Um, so I, yeah, I think we're not going to completely um, write off, you know, coaching decisions to cycle guys in too early in the game or um, potential play calling that isn't aggressive enough before we get that 13, 17, 21 point lead. Um, that's still something we want. We still want them to be aggressive, certainly in the first play of the game, first drive of the game. Uh, but overall, I think there's maybe a little bit of an explanation to what we've seen so far. Yeah, and in that Syracuse game, remember Mark Fields was out. So that's a, a real testament to the depth um, in the secondary as well. Yeah, he wasn't able to drop an interception in that game, which is great. That's fair, too. <laughs> um, one more interesting, I just looked this up, one more interesting tidbit uh, from this NC State game. There were 221 yards of hidden hidden uh, field position in this game, hidden yards in Clemson's favor. And basically what that is is starting field position differential between the two teams. Our average start was the 40. Theirs was the 23. Um, and you can chalk some of that up to two turnovers. But, um, you know, when you, you basically give set Clemson 17 yards per drive, we run 13 drives per game. That adds up in a hurry. And, um, you know, yeah, we, we won by, um, you know, four or five scores here. But that sort of thing, again, you know, if you're doing that against – the upper crust of your conference, um, pretty impressive across the board. Now, now that's more credit to a completely suffocating defense than than special teams, wouldn't you say? Hundred yeah, percent. Just having watched this game and knowing what we got out of the punting game. Um, right. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, anything? Any other thoughts on it on NC State? Um, I just wanted to mention Travis Etienne. You know, he was he was really shut down for the most part. And yet he still managed three rushing touchdowns, which gives him 14 and ties him for the most in the entire country. Um, he drops in uh, in yards per carry, but he only drops um, to second in the country. I think he might have been second already. Um, and, you know, he's, he's definitely behind Tua and Kyler Murray in the Heisman race. But with Ohio State, Haskins losing and uh, Wisconsin already having two losses, thinking about Jonathan Taylor. Bryce Love has uh, been hurt. Bryce Love has been yeah, he hasn't been very good. Right. Um, you look at Penn State. You look at uh, West Virginia for Will Greer. I don't know who who you could really say with confidence should be above Travis Etienne besides, obviously, uh, Tua and Murray. Yeah, just after the way that game felt and the yards per carry that we saw from Etienne, I was like, you know, it's going to be tough. Like, he's going to have to ongoing put up monster stats. But I didn't realize that his net yards per carry didn't drop that much. It's probably because he didn't have that many attempts overall um I yeah think. I, I think i believe it was 15 but I, w- I was actually surprised too right so i i i do still think he's in the mix and um just on i i posted something on twitter about this um little do we little have we realized how prolific his touchdown scoring has been actually he's you mentioned second in the nation but he's three touchdowns off of the clemson single season school record 
And those records, um, the the tie for the lead there is a three-way tie. Um, those got that counts, you know, conference championship games and bowl games or playoff games. So Wayne Gallman got the benefit of 15 games to score his 17. Wow. And um, Etn here, he's to, he's sharing he's sharing the load. He has um, 14 touchdowns, but there are nine touchdown nine rushing touchdowns scored by other Tigers so far this year. Um, so if maybe we had a little bit less depth or Kelly Bryant, you know, wasn't starting the first four games of the season, um, he may he may already have broken that record through seven games played. Yeah, and he, he's tied for first in the country with uh, FAU's Devin Singletary, 14 touchdowns. That's right. Um, so, you know, I, what I did, what I looked at, I was like, oh, that's 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 excellent. How many touchdowns do we think it will take to get him to New York? And I, I did. So I'm curious to get your your answer to that question. But I did take a look at just what are some of the more prolific of recent memory number of touchdowns scored from guys that either did or did not make it to New York for the Heisman uh, ceremony. And um, you really got to be in that nearing 30 touchdown range, I think, to have a sniff at the Heisman. Um, also, of course, with that, you know, you need tons of yards amounted. So, Yeah. Um, with five games left, and so, yeah, I don't know if he's going to get to get to 30. Um, I mean, he's averaged, he's averaged two a game, so he's on pace for, what, 24? 24. And, yeah. and he'll get the championship game too before before December. That's true, true as well. Um, yeah, I, I mean, he certainly, I don't think, has a great shot to win. Uh, just given, I, I can't imagine that both Tua and Kyler Murray fall off enough to to let uh, someone else, let alone a running back, win. But um, I would just be thrilled if he got an invite. And I think, I mean, I could see him getting an invite with, you know, 28, 27 rushing touchdowns. Uh, eight yards a carry kind of thing. It seems totally um, in the realm of, poss- of possibilities. Yeah, for sure. I also don't think he's too far off that like upper 20s range either. Um, I think all of us would rather see him get through healthy than put up a Heisman-type season. Um, That's and, true. And potentially put himself in harm's way. But um, yeah, it will be interesting. I guess the other thing to consider here is, um, is there sort of an effect of setting ETN up this year, sort of like they did with Bryce Love a year ago, um, get him the invite, get him to New York, and then maybe he'll be a you know a preseason Heisman contender next year. And are we going to find ourselves next year in a Reggie Bush Matt Leinart situation where you've got um, Heisman you know Heisman hopefuls in two positions on the same offense? Yeah, I mean that's certainly possible. I, I don't know why I get uh, so interested in it because because I, I think they the way they vote is inconsistent and um, upsetting, but. You know, I just I just really like Travis Etienne. I think he's one of our more um, likable players, certainly one of our better players. So it's just nice to see him get a little bit of uh, national attention, and, and he certainly deserves it. So, yeah, I think for Clemson, like I I personally find the award to be it's silly. It's a it's a silly contest because there have been several years where the best player did not, the most deserving player, the best player did not win the award, and um, through any number of statistical measures. But I think for Clemson fans, it's like one additional you know accolade that we have not yet seen a clemson player achieve it's one little thing that south carolina fans needle us on so i think until we get our first it's going to maybe hold a little bit more significance as a fan base but i agree i'm with you like it's for me it's mostly a distraction this team has much bigger goals um and i I imagine travis Etienne would rather get a, a championship ring than a heisman trophy on the shelf oh for sure but it's just it's just i guess interesting because it, it is quirky like you said it was um, 
the two years that that Watson didn't get it, one year he gave it to you know the best player on the best team, kind of an MVP situation, even though Watson was kind of the most outstanding player, which was fine. But then the next year, Watson was that MVP kind of player, and they gave it to the most outstanding player, which is Lamar Jackson, which was fine. But it just seemed like it was so inconsistent; it was really maddening. And it, it would have been, you know, not noticeable if it wasn't Watson on each of those. Um, but since it was, it, it just stood out, and, and it's just a little frustrating. But that's okay because we, we won the national championship that year, and that's that's what people remember. Yes, we do. Um, well, Ryan, why don't we pivot off of NC State and talk about this Clemson team? Uh, when we when we think about maybe coming into the year and where we we, we expected this to be a defense first team, we expected. Uh, the offense to have some growing pains and feel out certainly a quarterback situation, how they would balance the load there. Um, I think a lot of us fans were trying to figure out what what week of the season, if Kelly Bryant did not uh, possess or portray significant improvement in his passing abilities, would they try to transition to who Trevor Lawrence? And just thinking through like what we thought the strengths and the potential weaknesses were of this team, um, I think now we've we've seen enough evidence to try to piece together what our thoughts are on like grading this team or sort of doing a scouting report on Clemson, if you will. And just curious to get your kind of reaction to what some of our like preconceived notions were versus observations. You know, it's, it's, you know, there's a lot of turmoil, obviously with the transfer and all that. But if you, if you go back and, and read and listen to a lot of what people were saying, uh, I think Alex Kraft called, called it kind of how it was, but people were saying kind of around Georgia Tech, the transition will start. And um, by the end of the year, you'll see uh, Trevor Lawrence being the guy. That was kind of a popular take. And, you know, no one picked, you know, to happen, you know, so abruptly because of a transfer. But more or less, they were basically right in calling that. Um, so I, I don't know. The weird stuff kind of went on around it with the whole Kelly Bryant transfer. But I don't know that this is too wildly different from our expectations coming into the year. No, I, I mean, I think all of us hoped and thought there'd be a really solid chance we'd be 7-0 and um, at this juncture. I think it's maybe a bit of, maybe maybe my question related a little bit more to position groups and um, understanding, we've already talked a little bit about the secondary, but um, questions were more related around depth, I think, than like real solid concerns about individuals on that, that core unit. Um, and I feel like what we've what we've seen against the most capable passing offenses was uh, the depth showed itself and showed itself to be competent. And I think we have to give the coaches a lot of credit for developing that talent, both with the number of snaps these guys are getting, as well as just you know uh, capability and not seeing too many blown coverages, uh, blown plays, you know, explosive plays, that that sort of thing. Yeah, um, you know, we were talking about before the. Uh... The secondary and, and the, the depth in the secondary in particular being a concern, but I mean, to this point, you know, even the backups like Nolan Turner either have looked good or are starting to look good now. Um, I think one area where we were really right, um, probably more than any other, was at wide receiver. It was uh, almost like a hot take to say, despite losing Deion Kane and Ray Ray McLeod in the draft, our receivers will be way better. Um, but, but we were right on that one. I, I don't know if you shared that view with us in the preseason, but um, me, Alex Kraft, and I think a decent amount of folks, uh, at least on STS, were making that claim. 
um, because T. Higgins was going to be developed. We had Ju uh, Justin Ross coming in, another year of experience for Hunter Renfro. And, um, you know, Deion Kane wasn't really kind of the tall nine receiver in the offense. So it, just, it wasn't quite right. Um, so I, th I think the receivers have looked a ton better. And, and part of that is, you know, um, correlated with the quarterback. So it's hard to kind of, you know, is it the quarterback or is it the quarterback because of the wide receivers kind of thing. But um, I, I think that's an area um, that's been a pleasant surprise. And then conversely, I think tight end is an area where we're, we're still – we're not getting any more production than we did last year, um, right. which is a little surprising. I would have expected at least a marginal improvement there. So that's a little odd. Yeah, I guess if you are trying to point at you know potential areas that they have not yet maximized capability, I mean, we're maybe we haven't seen as much of Braden Galloway as we would have hoped, or um, Garrett Williams get a little bit more involved in the passing game on this offense. I mean, I. I haven't paid super close attention to that and just kind of picked up what I've read here and there. I think we're happy with his blocking. I think Mylon Richard has definitely not taken a step forward and promising work out of Braden Galloway in the Texas A&M game, I thought, or some of the earlier earlier games of the year, um, really hasn't translated to a lot of snaps or a lot of, a lot of attempts. But again, it's maybe a wrinkle that this team could add down the stretch as Trevor Lawrence like nails the, the chemistry with the receivers. Uh, we may need another wrinkle to the passing offense, um, and there's certainly still time to iron that out. But I think I agree with you. Like on offense, we definitely had high hopes and expectations of better receiver play this year. We've gotten that. I don't know if what we've seen has exceeded what those high expectations were. I mean, we all saw the Justin Ross highlight reel play in uh, fall camp that I think Alex was at like a, a kind of friends of the program only type practice that he might have released some illicit photos from, but anyway, um, yeah, I mean, I think hopes were high coming into the year and we've seen great stuff out of that unit, but yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, maybe one bright spot is what we've seen from the O line in terms of run, run blocking. I, I think that's something that was an open question mark coming into the year. They're still working out overall rotations on the O line still in run blocking. Certainly. I mean, I think we would have, um, liked to have made some adjustment and, and adjustments and figured out getting the running game going at some point in this NC State game. They were pretty committed throughout to stacking the box. So um, unless you're really talking some like Wisconsin level road graders, you're not likely to have any success with that when they've got eight nine guys packed in there. But um, passing, pass blocking, pass protection still remains to be seen. And I think this Florida State game coming up, which we'll touch on here in a bit is going to showcase how far that unit's come along and what we get out of guys like Gage Cervenka, if he's going to continue to be playing a right guard there. Yeah, it's really tough, you know, if you're not like a, a former offensive lineman to, to, to watch them and, and really um, kind of grade them. And the statistics are a little muddied because so much is dependent on running backs and quarterbacks and, and, and that interplay. Um, but the advanced stats around Clemson's offensive line play are, are only okay. Um, if you look at sack rate, they're 49th. Now, is that because they don't block as well or because Trevor Lawrence um, doesn't sense the pressure and get rev and holds onto the ball too long? I don't know how you kind of slice that and uh, and assign credit and blame um, on some of these. Yeah, that's a good point. And it's really, unless you knew the play call and knew what the defense was trying to get done, like you, it's really difficult to grade what, what's going on with an O-line. But again, I it, it is an area that generally you hear – you hear kind of narratives around O-lines like 
the more they can gel, the more continuity they have, the more communication happens. You really hope we can find like the right combination of five guys and then maybe cycle in one or two new pieces, not three or four throughout the game um, with that unit that you know can get things going and be effective. So time can only help is my thought here. Yeah. Um, the only stat that, that, that really stands out to me regarding the, the offensive line is the power success rate because it's 105th in the country. And you kind of see that when you, when you watch them. Um, you know, in fourth and one, fourth and two, they, they don't get, you don't have a ton of comments that are going to just go out there and run a simple um, inside zone or, or power run or something. Something straight forward and just get it every time. When Alabama's in that situation, you just know they're probably going to get it. Um, I think that's, that's the area where our, our offensive line doesn't really dominate. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think the prevailing thought or what I've seen and heard a lot of from people is we're getting to the point where we kind of feel like we want Bama. And um, let's just, yeah, let's maybe temper it a little bit. And this is maybe one area of the offense that uh, if we can't get that going in the right way to get those precious short yard short yards to keep drives going. And you do need to think about, you know, what can, how can this offense adjust in other ways? And maybe that does include getting some of the short passing game going or getting Trevor Lawrence in, in a rollout type situation. But um, yeah, I, I don't like, there's not necessarily guys on the roster. We're not going to all of a sudden see this O-line start to get that push probably mid season. But so yeah, it could, could definitely be an open question mark that we're, talking about come December as we preview some of these games. Right. Um, so I guess across the board, I mean, I, I do think, I mean, just to talk about expectations versus reality, um, and my co-host touched on this, we were thinking this Clemson, with, you know, a top two, top three defense, which we expected, which we've actually seen play out, you know, not a huge shock there. Um, we thought we might have needed, like, a top 15 offense. And Clemson is right now around that 10-11 ranking spot and we have high hopes that they can continue to get continuity on the line develop trevor lawrence into um really a an, you know an elite top three passer in the country which we all know he can do the question is will he do that this year um so anyway yeah maybe we're ahead of schedule a bit in terms of where we thought the offense might need to be but then i think in normal years this clemson team would be looking really great for heading into the playoff and um controlling you know your typical pedestrian Nick Saban, Alabama team with a ball control offense run first. Um, that would have matched up really well with this Clemson team. But instead they have Tua over there. And um, so I think kind of the, the peak of the sport has gone up a bit. Um, I haven't looked recently at Alabama's S&P Plus rating relative to historic numbers from other teams and programs. Maybe you have, but um, we're facing a huge juggernaut there. And Yes, they've not played a defense greater than 85th ranked in the country. They'll face LSU here in a couple of weeks, but um, they're they're legit and they're not going away. Yeah, so if you want to kind of compare them to teams of past, they're averaging um, 8.3 yards per uh, yards per play. That's what Oklahoma's offense averaged last year, and that was an unbelievable offense. Oklahoma is actually averaging 8.7 yards per play this year, so their offense is even better. But imagine last year's Oklahoma offense. That's what you're getting with Alabama. Um, great quarterback play. And their defense has taken a step back, but it's still solid. So if you think about, like, Miami or Mississippi State or Texas last year, that's about where their defense is. So imagine, you know, Miami's defense with Oklahoma's offense, what that team would have been last year. 
that's kind of what Alabama is looking like this year, except they have tons more talent than any of those teams. So, you know, their upside's even higher as they continue to develop. Yeah. Or their ability to sustain that when faced with a tough opponent is likely not to drop too far off of that. Right. You, you, you certainly wouldn't expect us to um, put up points on that, on their defense, like we did Miami's uh, despite their S and P plus uh, ranking being very similar. Yeah. I mean, I, in chatting with a uh, recent show with the Clemson pause guys, Kurt made the point. He thought if we faced off a fourth time, it would again be in the forties. I think I'd temper that a little bit. I mean, yes, both are going to be high powered offenses, but um, I think Clemson, like Clemson's defense and Alabama's defense, like I would give them a little, little more credit than that. I mean, again, maybe that's just how the game plays out in a, in a long heavyweight bout, but I'd expect maybe more in the, maybe slightly less than that, like high thirties. Yeah, I just don't know that we play enough tempo to get quite that high. Um, we, we, we sure ran a lot of plays in, um, in our national championship victory, and I don't know that we would run that many um, in another game against them. Yeah, I mean, that was just part of the strategy, effectively, to tire out a really capable defense. I think if there's already issues of depth or question marks in their secondary, um, do we take a different approach to that? And the other, I mean, the giant question of that matchup, I think, is what do we get out of our running game on offense? Yeah, um, it's really hard to say. I mean, we have the best defense we've played is is Texas A and M, um, you know, and they they were pretty good. They held us, you know, largely in check. But this is a different different Clemson team now. So um, super hard to to say. And that's kind of what we were talking about before is that you know, we haven't played great defense. We haven't really played any great teams. The best is A and M, and the second best is NC State. And you know, depending on who comes out of the Coastal that might be the best there is. I mean, Miami, if, if they can get their stuff together, could, could give us a, a solid test. But, um, you know, we're just, when we play Alabama, well, if Alabama's national championship, but when we play a playoff game, that'll be the first elite team we play all year. It's right. not like um, Ohio State who has to play Michigan to get in kind of, kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I guess as far as... The outlook for the rest of the season. I, I think what we talked about with Alex and with John and Matt in a recent show is we really could not survive a loss to NC State just because they would be otherwise in the driver's seat to win the conference. And if we're not even sniffing the conference championship game, I'm sorry, the division, if we're not sniffing that conference championship game, it's just that would be probably it for our season. Do you feel like we could drop one down the stretch and still have a crack at maybe even the fourth seed, provided it's not the championship game? Sure. I mean, I guess it's, you know, obviously it depends. There's so much you don't know, but you have um, LSU has to play Alabama, likely the second loss. Georgia would have to play Alabama, likely the second loss. Um, Georgia has to play Florida, so maybe Florida has two losses. We'd certainly be above Kentucky. Um, Ohio State and Michigan play. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's certainly possible. You don't know what's going to happen in the Big 12 uh, between Texas and uh, Oklahoma. We could potentially get in. I think we would get in over Texas if they had one loss, but that's tough because Texas would have two wins over Oklahoma. So even I would have to admit that they're probably more deserving over a, a Clemson team with best wins over A&M and NC State or Miami or Virginia, you know, Virginia Tech. You know, they'd probably be more deserving, and I think you could make an argument that Oklahoma conversely would be as well because they would have wins over uh, West Virginia and probably Texas in the championship game. Um, so maybe we slip in as a four or maybe, I, I think it's very viable. We could slip in, um, cause I just don't know that 
Oklahoma's going to run the table um, or Texas will run the table. I, I, I could see there being an opening, but I, I, maybe 50-50 at best. Yeah, for sure. And, it, you know, again, Notre Dame's there. If they have one loss, how do they calibrate? One loss Clemson, one loss NC, or Notre Dame. I mean, if we have the conference championship, maybe they go back to that whole thing and they want to use it as a political statement to get Notre Dame to join a conference. So, yeah. I, I think I think the committee's done a good job. I don't think they're, you know, trying to make statements. You know, when they put Alabama over Ohio State, I think everyone in their heart knew Alabama was the better team and um, had a better record. I mean, they didn't win their their conference, but it wasn't, you know, a 12-1 and team versus 11-1 and team. You know, Ohio State had more losses. So it wasn't weird that they did that. Um, and I think anyone would have picked um, – Vegas certainly would have picked Alabama to beat them head up, straight up. So it wasn't just, you know, they don't care about championships. It was Alabama had the better record, and they were just unfortunate to be in a division with a really good Auburn team that they played on the road. Yeah, exactly. And Ohio State – I mean, Alabama didn't lose by 20, 25 to Iowa either. Yeah, it's very odd. Uh, 31 point loss to Iowa, then this year, 29 point loss to Purdue. You know, it, it's very strange. Very strange. Um, I mean, it, you know, we, we can talk about Urban Meyer here a little bit. I, I'd love to get Ohio State, I'd love to get Notre Dame in a, in a first round, you know, the CFP in the Orange Bowl or the Cotton Bowl. I think either of those games would be in Clemson's favor, just match up on the football field. And I think also coaching at this point. Yeah. I mean, I, I think you could probably say that about any team that's not Alabama. And I think you'd probably feel decent. Um, Michigan's got an awesome defense, but I don't know how, how good their offense is. Um, I think we'd eventually pull away. I'd love to see, uh, Michigan, uh, Alabama in that first round. I think that would be a, a really fun game to see Tua against the nation's top defense. Um, I think that'd be a, a really interesting battle. Um, I think Notre Dame is good. I, I just they're they're one of the harder teams to get a get a read on um, in part because they changed quarterbacks. So Notre Dame, uh, they have uh, in four of their games. Uh, if you add those up, the first three. Um, before they switched to Ian Book and then their most recent one, they're only averaging 22 points. But those three games right after they made the switch, they caught fire, averaged 46 points, destroyed uh, Wake Forest, Stanford, Virginia Tech. Everyone thought they were unbelievable, and then they went and only scored 19 against Pittsburgh. So I don't really know who they are. Uh, their defense is good. Ian Book's pretty good. I don't, I don't know if their offense is really that good. It's only ranked 41st. So I, I, don't, I don't feel like I have a good read on Notre Dame. Yeah, I'm right there with you. And, I, you know, you look at everyone knows what the remaining games they have on their schedule. I don't necessarily know we'll find out that much more either. Um, so they, they're a bit of an enigma. And, I don't, you know, I don't know, again, that until we would match up and face off against them, I just can't see any statistical measure or they just don't scare me eye test-wise or anything else. But, yeah, to your point, really nobody does outside of uh, the team from Tuscaloosa. So I, I do think, I mean – Again, a lot of football left to be played, but there are potentially some matchups there. Like, you know, Michigan against Clemson potentially could be a tricky one for us to navigate. If they run the table, sneak into that three seed, or even they get the two seed and we get knocked down to three based on only having to beat, you know, two, three lost Virginia um, the rest of the way, I could easily see us getting kind of bumped out of that spot. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, Michigan lost to Notre Dame, so it would. It would, I, 
think it would be wrong for them to jump Notre Dame unless Notre Dame loses. Um, but Notre Dame's schedule the rest of the way is, is pretty free and clear. I mean, I, obviously they, they, they struggled against Pittsburgh, so who's to say? But um, I, I, th- I think Notre Dame's obviously the most likely outcome. I think one of the most interesting games for Clemson would be Oklahoma. I know we've played them a lot in recent years, but you know they have the, the number two offense uh, – or excuse me, they have the number one offense – Number two is uh, is Alabama, so I think that would be a good um, a good test and preparation for them, while also not having to face such a good defense um, at the same time. Um, Oklahoma's defense is only 68th as compared to Alabama's, which is 20th, and, and you almost feel like it's it's really better than that just because they're so darn talented. Right, for sure. Um, I would also say it is so darn talented, and I feel like that. We should be more scared about that game. I mean, it it can and could very well turn into a shootout. I mean, you look at that. They made Georgia play to their level last year. They made Georgia dig deep in that Rose Bowl and come up with the right level of offense to, um, to keep up with them. And Georgia was up to the task. They had the right playmakers. I think you really saw their running backs just you know go crazy in that game. I think Oklahoma's defense is even worse this year than they were last year. Now, they made a coaching change midseason, but um, I still feel like that's one that that could have the variance to kind of slip away from Clemson a little bit at some stage of that game, and then you're you've got a freshman quarterback on the ropes potentially um, having to having to come back down multiple scores could be tricky. Um, yes, against Oklahoma's defense, it should be possible, but um, that's a game I, I like an opponent that has presents less variance uh, in in the in the matchup. Yeah, I mean, if you're talking about highest probability to win the game, not to win by high margins, highest win probability, yeah, you don't you don't want to face Oklahoma because they could just score so much. You know, you, you'd rather face, uh, um, like, a, even a Michigan, arguably. Um, yeah, like a more certainly. balanced team, potentially. Yeah, you just kind of know what you're getting. Um, but I think Oklahoma's tricky because, you know, they gave up uh, 48 to Texas. Um, they've given up a lot of points, and they don't look better from the eye test. But the advanced stats say they're a good bit better. So I, I don't really uh, know where to put that. They were 101st in S&P Plus defense last year, and they're 68th, and it's primarily because they're better at limiting the, the big plays. Now, is that because you know Mason Rudolph hasn't um, yeah. hasn't ripped them up and, and uh, you know some of the quarterbacks like that? Haven't haven't hit them, um, or have they made some strides? I don't know. I tend to think they're marginally better, um, but their offense is a little bit better too, both in the S and P and just yards per play. It's slightly better. So uh, I'm not sure that I mean this Oklahoma team might be slightly better than last year's team that you know was play away from a national championship game. Yeah, which again, you know, could be daunting. So it could be legit. I think. I don't really see a team winning two times against elite programs with even the 60th, even if they get into the 40s uh, defensive rankings. I just don't don't think you're going to be able to beat a Bama and a Clemson caliber of offense uh, twice uh, to be able to sustain that. So, but yeah, they can mess around and and steal one for sure. Yeah, and I think Clemson's offense is probably too multifaceted for them to slow it down enough. Um, you know, if it was extremely run heavy, extremely pass heavy, um, extremely focused on a certain wide receiver, you know, they might maybe they're just good enough to take a player away. 
But when you're not that good on defense and, you know, you're going to force us to pass, that's fine. We'll do that. If you want to force us to run, that's, you know, that's just as fine, just as much fine um, going that way. I think that makes it tougher for a bad defense to try to slow us down. Right. Agreed. Um, I guess the outcome we should be rooting for then is both Clemson and Notre Dame to run the table, secure in some order, fashion the 2-3 seed, and see Oklahoma with one loss slip into the four, let them play Bama first. We'll let them yeah, each other. I mean, I, I, th- I think Michigan's very good too, and I think um, a really good defense uh, going against that offense would certainly make for a fun game um, if you believe in Michigan. Um, and I think if Michigan runs the table, they have Penn State after their bye week, and then they end with Ohio State, they win those, I certainly am going to believe in Michigan. Um, obviously, you want the toughest possible matchup for Alabama. The only thing I don't want um, is Alabama in the first round. So as much as I want LSU to knock them out, I, I certainly don't want a situation where we're the one seed and we have to play Alabama um, as a four because they sneak in. That That's the worst-case scenario. That's really the only matchup I, I care to avoid. Otherwise, bring on whoever, and it'll, it'll be a fun game. Yeah, I said that in a text thread with my brother and cousin. My cousin's a Buckeye, and once we saw them lose, I was like, okay, you know, nightmare scenario again is what happens last year where we we find ourselves as the one seed, which basically is a thankless task or a thankless role to have when you could see an Alabama team potentially lose and lose later but still make it into the playoff because they're certainly one of the best four teams in the nation. They, they could have a slip-up where they don't win their division or they lose to Georgia or I don't know, Florida coming out of the other side, certainly possible. Um, so yeah, I'm with you. <laughs> Let's avoid them in the first round. I mean, I think a lot of that can relate to, I guess maybe the committee would schedule a first round rematch if they wanted, if they liked what they saw. And there's just so much more football to be played to know how that would play out. But I don't know. I think setting up that that game for the championship game would hopefully be where that landed. Yeah, well... I also don't think LSU is going to beat them, so so there's that. But yeah, yeah. Ho- hopefully LSU plays them close and makes them look mortal, but then loses, and then we could not worry with them for a while. Exactly. Yeah. If you know, it's a it's a typical LSU Alabama twenty to seventeen or even lower grinded out game, but somehow I think it'll be be different than that. I I'm I'd probably place a bet on Alabama to cover. Yeah, I don't know what the spread is yet, but. Yeah, I, I would tend to agree. Well, um, I guess before we get to the playoff and those opponents, we should probably talk about beating Florida State, um, who is our next opponent. And uh, it's going to be, you know, clearly we're not going to have those ambitions if we lose to an unranked FSU team at noon in Tallahassee. So um, I know you've studied up on this matchup, and Florida State is not your daddy's seminal team this year. Um, Jimbo, I won't say he left the cupboard bare. I think he did leave the cupboard bare in certain areas of this team. They've had some bad injury luck, and maybe the Willie Taggart era has not gotten off to the start that a lot of people hoped. Um, what combo of those three factors, Ryan, do you feel like uh, has had the biggest influence on their tough start to the season? So, I mean, the problem has, has been on offense um, almost exclusively, um, and it's particularly on the offensive line. So. I believe they've had injuries there, and I don't know how much to attribute to the injuries versus a lack of recruiting. I know that uh, Quentin Tiger has written on uh, Chicken and Southland a bit about our lack of, of uh, offensive line recruiting as far as quantity and them being an example of when that can go wrong. Now, we've been fine because our 
our coaches are so good at identifying talent and developing talent. But if you if you don't take enough numbers and then you miss or have injuries and that's not necessarily your fault, then you can be in a position that Florida State's in. And so uh, I've read a bit about that. Um, but yeah, I mean their their offensive line is just it's just atrocious, um, and it's not just against the pass section in particular. Uh, their run blocking is just terrible. Their their stuff rate they got they they don't get they don't get past the line of scrimmage on more than a quarter of their runs. Um, so expect them to be extremely one-dimensional um, on Saturday. Well, and they haven't faced the likes of Christian Wilkins and Dexter Lawrence or Trey Lamar to date. So that's, right. that's going to be tough sliding for them. I mean, and it's, it's weird because I think everyone was so hyped up about the arrival of Cam Akers, and this was going to be his year to emerge as the Dal- the new Dalvin Cook type of prototypical, you know, uh, halfback for Florida State, uh, but yeah, it's you could you could have Barry Sanders back there and wouldn't make a bit of difference if you know guys can't block for him. Yeah, I mean, I think he's a good running back. It's not his fault. I mean, they're um, you know bottom bottom of the league towards the 128th in, in line yards, which is um, just the the first three yards, and 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 that is attributed to the uh, the offensive line rather than the running back. They're uh, 126th in stuff rates. So they just get stuff behind the line of scrimmage. They're not as terrible in pass blocking, but they, they, they don't run the ball. And it's really on um, on the line more so than Cam Akers. Because uh, Akers and Patrick, they've got very good running backs. Um, so it's just a gaping hole that they have. Um, but it's, it's a big one. Yeah, indeed. Um, I, I think the one, not the one, but a bright spot for Florida State um, an area that's going to be interesting to watch is going to be their secondary on pass plays 11 yards up. Um, is they have one of the lowest passer ratings in the country and allowing that that essential distance of passing play. Um, so that'll be interesting, and I think part of that is a factor of the eff- effectiveness of their pass rush. Um, I, th- I think generally Florida State, this is the strength of their team, and they certainly bring back a lot of talent there on that side of the ball on the D-line definitely the strength of their defense. I think the linebackers are a little bit more of a question mark for them. Um, they're starting to solidify in their roles, but um, I would say their their pass defense is definitely an area that um, could give Clemson some trouble. And again, you know, Trevor Lawrence, it's one thing to beat NC State like a drum in the Valley. You go into, into Doak. Granted, it's a noon game, which I think benefits Clemson, but um, yeah, it'll just be, that's, that's kind of the one, you know, bright spot, I guess, on this Florida State team. Yeah, they have um, Brian Burns with nine sacks. Um, uh, last year, he only had four and a half. He's already got nine. He's got 46 QB hurries, which is um, towards the top of the country. Um, it leads all um, all defensive ends. Uh, he's. I think he, that's going to be the, the, the most interesting player to watch for them. How does he do against our offensive line, and how does Trevor Lawrence do if uh, – if he gets a lot of pressure on him, you know, we can, we've now seen that if you make us pass, it's fine. It could be, if you make us run, that's fine. But how will he perform if guys are getting the space rather quickly? If our offensive line only does so, so can he manage, can he adjust and get it out quicker? Cause that's been kind of the, the one weakness that we've, that we've seen, not that he's been perfect and he's been excellent, but um, he hasn't been great at, you know, I don't want to say pocket presence, but knowing when to get rid of the ball, he's taking some sacks he doesn't need to. Um, so I'm, I'm interested to see their D line against our O line is probably the 
the area where they will they have the best opportunity to be successful and, and stay in the game. Yeah, I think they want a rock fight. Like if they can keep keep this really low scoring and give him fits. Um, I guess the question there is, I agree with you. It's kind of like decisiveness, quick release. Um, how you know, how would you scheme for that? Like what 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 personnel would you try to get out there? Is this an area where hopefully we do try to get the tight end going? Or are we really bringing tight ends here to block and kind of slow down that pass rush? I'm not sure. I mean, this, that's, that's the only situation where screens um, make a little bit more sense. And it's, it's nice that that's something we're, we're <laughs> kind of bringing back um, and making effective again. Um, but otherwise, I think, you know, it's, it's QB development type things like getting through um, your progressions quickly, hitting your check down when you know you're running out of time. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it's I don't know if it's something more complicated than, than that, or if it is, it's probably over my head. Yeah, it's Amari Rogers and Hunter Renfro too, right? So right, lean on lean on those weapons. That last week it was the T Higgins and Justin Ross show, and you know let's go to the reliable pass catchers uh, for this one if need be. I mean, I think this is where the coaches do talk about. They're going to talk all day about how there's not really a talent. Uh, golf between the teams if, if anything FSU on paper through the rankings have better talent but um, that's really where Clemson's depth and diversity of talent on this offense we're going to need to win in multiple ways we've already shown that this season we won as a passing offense this last week and Wake Forest we buried with the running game and I think FSU um, maybe will be a, little, a bit more challenged in the passing game and see what we get out of the running game but this one might have to be actually a multi-dimensional offensive win uh, which I feel like we haven't yet seen out of this team, but I know they've got the gear. So, I think yeah, the, the good the good thing about you know NC State wasn't the most talented team, but they were a good, solid, cohesive team. I don't want to say that this isn't a good team, but um, I think you definitely say they're more of a talented team than they are a good team at the moment, uh, and that I think makes some of the individual matchups more interesting. Um, you know, looking at wide receivers going against you know very highly rated cornerbacks, looking at Brian Burns against our offensive line, uh, how will we hold up individually against you know really talented players, even if their team isn't you know clicking together yet? Right. Yes. So I, maybe if there's one matchup in particular, like one guy on the Clemson team that you're looking to either see if some of his performance or progress to date has been legitimate or um, you see as a potential weak spot for this team like either either way you want to answer that I'm curious to get your take I, I think the most obvious answer is is the offensive line um i i think we should see the defensive line dominate um i think i think line play may be the most interesting thing here um because you want to see if our o-line can hold up against what's actually a pretty solid d-line and then well, our, you know, last year, our D-line was really, really good, and they got a lot of um, – they kind of had their moment against Auburn, right? And they've been really good this year, but we've played some triple option teams. NC State has a really good pass-blocking um, line, and they get it out quick. They haven't really, like, had a moment where you just kind of, like are, – are, I don't want to say you haven't been blown away by them, but – Sure, sure. You, yeah. You know, you know what I'm saying? Is this their moment? Are they going to say, like, hey, we are living up to the hype? Um, so I think I'm actually looking at the lines more than I'm looking at like T Higgins or Ross or Renfro or ETN. Cause I feel like, you know, they're proven and, you know, I, I don't know that I'm concerned, you know, that Ross is going to struggle when he faces a more talented cornerback. 
Right. That's not, that's not really a concern. I'm, I'm more interested in the D line. Are you are you as dominant as we've hyped you to be? And the O line, will you hold up against you know uh, the nation's leader in sacks and hurries? Yeah, definitely. I think the the right side of the O line has been a question for the last year, really, and still remains that. So that that's going to be an area that I'm personally looking looking at. Um, and just Trevor Lawrence, you know, how does he react to pressure at this point? Because he's certainly going to see that in the postseason. Yeah, for sure. I, I absolutely agree with you. Uh, any other thoughts? I mean, I guess I know you, when we were texting about kind of setting up this chat, we talked about the Willie Taggart start to that era, and it's hard to know what realistic expectations would be based on what uh, the state of the program was, what the state of the roster was, him coming in. You can only do so much in your first year without really having a full recruiting cycle. He came in a little bit late to the game, um, I think after signing day, actually. So um, anyway, what's your kind of high-level take on the Willie Taggart era? I mean, I think a, just to maybe plug one more point into that, I don't know that anyone was going to be cool with them not making a bowl game. And it's certainly looking like that's going to be a possibility here. Yeah, in May. I don't, I don't know that that's a lock at this point. Um, uh, it, it's just, you know, it's almost like that that quote, like year zero. Um, so I just don't know how much to say he's done a good job or bad job based on this. I mean, you look at some coaches who take over programs and have atrocious first years, and it doesn't mean anything at all. So um, I think you have to be really careful in saying he's good or bad based on this. I thought it was probably one of the – the best hires they could have made given the timing which you alluded to um coming so late he should recruit well there um given time his class is 14th right now um for 2019 which is okay um so we'll see you know it, will he recruit like kirby smart um that's still yet to be seen i, I certainly uh i don't know if i'm allowed to say this but i kind of like him um certainly compared to jimbo he, he seems like a decent guy Grew up a Florida State fan, as much as I despise Florida State, they're certainly not as odious with him versus Jimbo. Um, so not that I want him to do well, but um, he seems like a decent guy and a solid hire. Yeah, for sure. I think that um, John McElhaney, STS, the tweet czar, we can call him, he said he got to meet and be around um, Willie Taggart a lot at AC Media Day. I actually met Willie Taggart when he was head coach at Oregon at their facility. And um, the guy's smooth. The guy's, um, the guy's solid. I can definitely see where he wins in the living room and um, can motivate his team in the right direction. I think, like you said, a great fit for uh, Florida State. Um, but, yeah, I, you know, I also think for this first year, that Virginia Tech game was a punch in the mouth to them. And I think they, um, they maybe had a little bit too much hype and swagger coming into that game for what they – really were capable and ready to put out on the field. Um, and Virginia Tech played out of their minds too. So um, he really hasn't lost that locker room or lost that team this year, which I think speaks highly of, I mean, again, like what a four-win team thus far could could expect or could have. But um, anyway, yeah, I think it's really going to be tough to cast any judgments on his long-term outlook as a coach based on anything that happens this year. Right. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Um, I think he's going to have to recruit at an elite level to meet the the goals that they have at that program, which is, you know, going to be the case at any any place that thinks they can win a national championship, and Florida State certainly can. Um, 
The other thing is, I don't know where, you know, we talked about their offensive line a lot. Um, they certainly have skill position talent, but at quarterback, I, I think we're going to learn a little bit about DeAndre Francois. He got off to a horrid start to the season. Um, three touchdowns, four uh, interceptions through those first three games, um, and then 10 and two in the last four games. Um, so we'll, we'll find out a little bit more about who he is. Um, I don't know that he's an elite quarterback and, you know, typically, you know, truly great teams have, have a, a great quarterback or a super, super, you know, dominant uh, defense and, you know, they have a good defense and a not elite quarterback. So, you know, that's not totally on, on the coach. Yeah, for sure. And that's, that's completely a factor of what he inherited coming in there. I've not kept up enough with Bud Elliott and what the Florida state recruiting trail looks like for the quarterback position going forward. I know they did have a lot of transfers before last season that affected the depth chart there. And they had to start James Blackman in the, um, the, the Clemson game, certainly a year ago, everyone remembers that Trey Lamar sack fumble uh, recovery, which was amazing. Um, <laughs> hope to see a lot of those gifts this week, but um, yeah, I mean, I, I always, I mean, I thought Francois had a pretty high ceiling as a quarterback. Um, I listened to the old cast pretty regularly, at least a year ago I did when they were a contender for the ACC Atlantic uh, before the wheels went up, came off the Jimbo show. But um, yeah, I, he's figuring it out. I think I read from QT that he's starting to pick up on some of the RPO concepts that um, Taggart's offense likes to run. And he's not certainly firing on all cylinders as a quarterback yet. So he's a lot worse than Ryan Finley. Let's put it that way. And we should right. capability to shut, shut that down. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I, I think Florida state's defense is dangerous. I just don't know that their offense is good enough to, to make them, you know, a real, uh, a real challenge to actually lose the game. They could I could see this being a battle. Um, I, I think it's extremely unlikely that they could score enough to win, even if they keep it, you know, 10, 10 late, I just don't know if this offense is going to put together a game-winning drive against a Clemson defense. Yeah, exactly. So I think their only shot here is just Clemson makes mistakes all over the field, um, and and that's it. Basically, shoot. Yeah. Shoot. If, if we give away points, then right. their defense is certainly good enough to capitalize. Um, yeah. I mean, even going back so, to the state game, I thought that Clemson left a lot of points on the board, getting cute in certain situations and stuff. And maybe you can chalk some of that up to Dabo. Dabo definitely wanted to stick it to Dave Doran a bit, and he he had a, a few that manifested itself a few different ways. I do think there probably should be some level of Dabo wanting to stick it to Florida State and run up the score in a blowout situation, just due to the effect on recruiting. Yeah, I mean, I've obviously never been in one of those living rooms, so I, I just don't know how much that matters to kids. Maybe it matters a lot. Maybe it doesn't matter at all. Um, you certainly see guys recruit well you know, in, in a year zero situation sometimes where their team is atrocious and, and players are still happy to go there, um, you know, knowing promises of, of, of the future. Um, yeah, so we can't I, beat Clemson without you kind of thing, right? Right. Yeah, you're, you're part of the, of the plan. Um, right. I think that, that can work well. I think, you know, um, I can't think of a player offhand now, but um, certainly I, there's cases where a player is deciding between you know, like an Alabama and maybe a lesser school and, and the lesser school is going to tell them you can go to Alabama and be great. I think it was CJ Spiller with Florida actually is where I heard this. It was on um, another podcast um, and they interviewed CJ Spiller and 
Clemson said, hey, like you could make you could put Clemson on the map, or you can be a guy at Florida. Um, and he wanted to put Clemson on the map, and so um, I think that's a you know that works too. Um, but looking at looking at Florida State, just to circle back on something you mentioned about them making a bowl, they're four and three. Boy, their schedule gets tough. Clemson at NC State at Notre Dame, then Boston College, and then they host Florida. I wonder if they could win two of those because I think they have that they have the bowl streak. I think it's a over 500 streak on top of that. It's going to be real close. Yeah, for sure. I think the I don't know. The smart money's on no at this point. Um, I mean, B, BC. You could see them just continue to disappoint, but I think they match up pretty well against Florida State based on what they have. Um, run heavy, obviously, on the offensive side, but um, maybe Florida, maybe you get a rivalry game situation happen there where you kind of throw the records out. But, yeah, I, I would say those are the, clearly the two. I mean, unless we don't feel like Notre Dame is that legit. No, it's at Notre Dame. I guess I guess we'll get a really good indication this week. If Florida can't hang with Georgia, then maybe maybe they're actually not that good after all. Right. I mean, they lost to Kentucky, which Kentucky's got a good defense. So, which is really ironic because it's a Stoops brother that's a head coach. Right. <laughs> um, cool. Well, one thought I had too, just on the recruiting front. I mean, uh, for Clemson right now, there put, could potentially be. Uh, some stars aligning and this is going to be our, our largest class certainly in my distant memory or my recent memory um, and what you've got going on here nationally is Clemson first of all starting to show some promise in um, recruiting in the state of California talent hotbed um, Clay Helton being at USC uh, some turmoil having happened at UCLA and Oregon turnover in those staffs has helped recruiting out here um, but I think you know Maybe we're starting to see some fracturing in the Urban Meyer Ohio State marriage happen. That if he should decide to retire or they go a different direction after this year, um, that could definitely open recruiting to a lot of guys that are likely on Clemson's radar. And then the state of Florida um, with turnover at their coaching positions. I think Mullen writing the ship a bit with Florida's record. Um, and again, you know, you talk about the how much does this stuff actually really matter? You can frame things different ways in the, in the living room, but. Um, Florida is maybe a li little bit more in play for Clemson now than maybe we would have thought. So I'm just thinking like the timing of a lot of these things could be playing out in a good way for Clemson, knowing that we've got such a big class coming in or the ability to sign such a large class. Yes, but we've already got 24 commitments. So I don't know. I don't know how much more room we have. I mean, maybe we go to 30, but it's still only six more guys. So I don't know uh, how much, I, I, it's, it's maybe that time has passed is what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. And that, you know, there are, there are definitely some bubble guys for who may be inclined to go to the league that you can pencil in some numbers here and there on that front. Um, but I know what you mean in terms of like, are we going to get, I mean, again, I trust this coaching staff implicitly on the ability to get guys late in a cycle. If we do have the, the numbers to go there, I guess what you're saying is maybe we don't have the seats on the bus to fill. Right. No, I, I, yeah. I mean, could they grab a guy late? Absolutely. But I, I don't know that they're going to grab, you know, 10 guys because the class is already so full. Um, they've got some great guys in this class, um, but they also seemed intent on taking numbers and not, I mean, for as much as we complained the last couple of years when they didn't take as many guys, you can't really complain about them being 
um, more aggressive and just saying, hey, we, we're not going to make that mistake and be short. Let's get the guys who want to be Clemson, Clemson Tigers. Let's, if, you, if you're ready to commit, we like you. We're not going to slow play you and then end up short in our class again. So you can't criticize it both ways. So, so I'm not going to bite my tongue here um, <laughs> since I criticized it before. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, some of these effects are not just season to season. I mean, this can be an Urban Meyer cha- coaching change would definitely have a, a longer-term impact on 2020, the 2020 class. Sure, I see that benefiting Michigan um, more than anyone. Yeah, I think so. I mean, OSU definitely recruits nationally. So Michigan, I imagine their Venn diagram overlaps pretty heavy, but um, it's, a bit, it's been heavy with us too. And I think Ohio State does better – in the state of Texas than we've ever uh, dreamed to do. So um, that's really not the contested battleground, but I think we, we've we been recruiting up north a, a lot more of late. Yeah, that's, that's a fair point about Ohio State recruiting a little bit more nationally. Uh, well, any parting thoughts, Ryan, on Florida State or, or other teams around the country that you've, you've, you've seen your eye draw to? Um, I know there's, there's a lot to to like about this Clemson team um, just from a talking about it, writing about it standpoint though, I think we, we maybe cash in our chips in the first few weeks of the year. And um, now it's just seeing this team around into form, but any other thoughts around the, around the sport? Um, just that, uh, you know, we didn't even talk about Georgia, LSU or Florida. Um, and, you know, it's just because Alabama is so good. You almost figure, well, they'll be out by the time we, we worry with them. And, you know, I'm just, I'm glad that, you know, we're not in that conference with Alabama. So, you know, as, as good as Georgia may be, it seems inevitable that the winner of the East is just going to lose and then they get no SEC championship. They get no playoff berth. Um, you know, it's, it's a frustrating situation for them. And I'm glad that, you know, obviously I'd rather have a tougher schedule in the ACC, um, get some more tests and have some more fun to be honest, just to be frank. But I certainly take our position over, um, you know, there's where, especially like LSU, they're really good. And if they were in the, um, you know, another conference, say the Big 12, the Pac-12, uh, even the ACC, if, if they were to get by us, um, at least they wouldn't have to go through Alabama. Yeah, it's tricky. I think this, like, I feel really good about the four-team number um, just overall. I'm pretty much an advocate of keeping that system. But I think that is a bit where, if you do think to expand it to six or eight, you can see a bit of a capable team there that's locked in a, in a conference with a, just a complete elite team um, potentially get in. I just think what you'll see if you move to six or eight is a lot of quasi-undisturbing teams. You might, you might get years where there's three teams that really belong, and then it's like, oh, we've got, got to break, drag three more along with us. And four to me feels like maybe you get some controversy between four or five, but... For the most part, I mean, I know we saw number four Ohio State win it all um, into that the first year of the playoff, but um, I just I don't know. I, I feel like four is the right number for now for me at least. Yeah, I I wholeheartedly agree with you on this. I mean, um, so you look at like the NCAA tournament. It's a horrible way to crown the most deserving champion. It's a heck of a lot of fun, and I enjoy it, <laughs> but it's not how you crown a deserving champion. I mean. We, we started the playoff because there were sometimes two or three teams um, or some, well, we started it's really the, about the, the third team. Yeah. Right. Not the, not the fifth team. I'm sorry. If you're, if you're five, you don't have an argument to be one. I'm not too worried. We're sorting out who's one, not who's four. So, you know, I, I completely agree with you in general. 
the smaller the playoff, the more deserving the champion ends up being. You just need it big enough that all the teams that have a, a legitimate claim that they should be one are in there and then that can be settled. Absolutely. I mean, I, I think last year, last year was a little bit of an exception where you did see Bama get in and you, you had the debates with them in Ohio State on deservedness versus being one of the best teams, but they proved, and again, they needed until overtime and they needed to have their backup quarterback come in and they basically looked like a different team entirely um, in that second half of the championship game. But I feel like still the system worked and you saw the best team win. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm not sure if it's supposed to be the best team wins or the team that's most deserving wins, um, given their entire body of work, but certainly not gonna, gonna knock Alabama after, you know, the way that they played us. And then that, that second half in overtime against Georgia, they're certainly extremely deserving. Right. Uh, we got to end on a different note than Alabama's title. (laughs) Um, exactly right. So what games are you most looking forward to this coming weekend? Well, um, I'll be watching the Florida State game, obviously, um, and then Florida Georgia. I mean, that's that's the, that's the game of the of the weekend, I would I would think, and just I think it's gonna be an interesting way to see if Florida's really that good, or if uh, or if, if Georgia's more of the of a contender than they looked against LSU. I think that's the game of the weekend. Yeah, definitely, it has the most impact on sort of the national picture too. Um, but, I guess but back my... to what we were saying before, mm-hmm. does it really? Does it really matter at all in the national picture? Yeah, I guess it's probably more for smack talk for Clemson fans with you happen to work with Georgia fans and, you know, if they lose to Florida, what's up with Kirby? You know, was that a – I mean, again, he's recruiting. They're in this weird – this is kind of like a down year, rebuilding year, what have you. But, um, yeah, I, I don't think that that is a playoff – it's a playoff eliminator. I don't think it's a playoff qualifier. Let's put it that way. Right. Uh, I'm going to be looking at Miami BC. I think uh, we could, we will face BC down the stretch. We may face Miami if they can close out the coastal. There, I don't think they control their destiny there because they lost to UVA. But um, we'll be eager to see. I mean, I think Miami's got a lot of talent. Let's see how BC plays against a talented team. That one is in Boston College, four o'clock. It's Friday. Yeah. Oh, sorry, it's Friday. Friday night. Yeah. Um, at Boston College. So get that out of the way it won't won't block any of our viewing of the saturday action yeah so that's nice because you're the, the full the full experience there with no other games to zone in and watch and see how good those teams really are so that is a good one that's a great great call there yep um and otherwise i don't know i mean i guess iowa penn state oof that's classic i not bad actually no you're right i mean i they've got a hell of a defense and um i just i don't know i'm done with james franklin <laughs> Yeah, it, it may not be the most exciting matchup, but if Iowa wins, they definitely have a great opportunity to win the West. Yeah, for sure. And, I mean, I think in the Big Ten, any team can beat any other team at this point. It, maybe if Michigan does prove legit. And I don't know. I haven't looked at Rashawn Gary's status. I, I thought at one point he might pull the um, the Nick Bosa sort of wrap it up for the year based on an injury, but um, – I haven't seen any of that lately, so maybe that's not happening. But, um, yeah, I mean, Purdue showed you can take down Ohio State by multiple scores. So it's a that's a tough conference, too. It's a bit of a Game of Thrones over there. Yep, for sure. Um, and, yeah, another playoff eliminator could be Washington State-Stanford out here on the West Coast. 
Um, I, I think Wazoo has no chance at the playoff. I mean, of course, they win out. They're going to be a one-loss conference champion. That'll be impressive. But in terms of just quality of opponent and schedule, I just think the Pac-12 is lousy with 15, like no one near the top 15 in terms of divert, deservedness of ranking and um, just being up on each other, which is becoming a trend. Yeah, the Pac-12 is probably the worst conference. I mean, they, there's there's not an elite team, and, and there's not there's not one particularly close. And really, it's strange that I think that'll be the case until USC figures it out. And Washington has not made a lot of hay while the sun is shining there, while USC is under the Todd or sorry the Clay Helton regime. Um, Todd Helton's a baseball player, I'm pretty sure. But um, but yeah, Tennessee, Rockies, but. but uh, Anyway, I, I feel like Pac-12 is in a tough way, and maybe they'll be a year where Stanford strings it together. Mario Cristobal looks promising at Oregon in his, his first year, but um, it's going to be a tough way out here on the West Coast, and their conference is not doing itself any favors from a financial standpoint, and all the, the circus that went on with some of the targeting call stuff in the Wazoo-USC game, um, I don't know. It just, it's just it's weird. College football out here is weird, I can say, from the front lines. Yeah, I mean, Southern college football is certainly different. And I think both from a culture standpoint, more intense, and from success standpoint, I mean, you just look at the past na- national champions in the states they've come from. Um, aside from aside from Southern Cal, the one exception, um, they're all from either Rust, Rust Belt or Southern states for the most part. Yeah. Yeah, USC is a sleeping giant, and um, there's just tons of talent out here on, in the West that – they should be getting and they should be turning into championship contenders. So um, I don't know. Helton might be able to win it off. He beats Notre Dame. He may preserve his job another year or two and we'll see this carousel continue. But yeah, well, I'll, I'll, I'll bet on Notre Dame on <laughs> in that one. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, well, Ryan, thanks so much for coming on. Um, I encourage everyone to go over to Shake in the Southland. Ryan has recently put up a recap of the NC State game. I know you're excited, Ryan, to get into basketball season, but um, any other football features you've got coming up? Yeah, um, we're, we're, we're doing a Q&A with the Florida State site, and they've, you know, that, that's actually a really, really well-run site. Um, we always have some great authors and some good content. So um, I know you mentioned the Nullcast. Um, we're connecting with uh, a guy over there. So expect something on Tomahawk uh, Nation and then vice versa on our site from them. So that'll, that, that'll be a good one. This one's some good questions over. Yeah, awesome. I mean, I, I still feel like that is the marquee rival for Clemson in the ACC. Um, NC State, we got the textile bowl history there, and of late, they've looked a little bit better as an opponent, but um, really it's all about Florida State-Clemson still. Um, we're both a couple of regimes removed from the Bowden era, thankfully, for both of us, but um, still a good one. So I'm uh, yeah, keen to see how this one plays out, and they should elevate starting next season, but also keen to just get get a flavor of their fan base on how they're feeling about this season and i'm sure you will go there in your q a yep good stuff well thanks again ryan um thanks everyone for tuning in in terms of the podcast we will come back to you guys with a florida state recap and look forward to bringing on more interview guests later on in the season i encourage you to subscribe to our podcast through your favorite app you can always check out our shows on soundcloud Um, and then we are on twitter twitter.com slash Clemson podcast and also on Facebook. So check us out there. Um, and one more time, Ryan, you got a Twitter you want to plug? Sure. This is Ryan underscore Cantor. Cantor's with a K. 
Excellent. Thank you again, Ryan. Thanks to everyone for listening. And as always, go Tigers.